Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Jesus, Salvation for All is the series that Todd's been working through. Last week it was chapter 14, we are now up to chapter 15, so we're continuing that series today. Now, does anyone know what today is known as? Any significance to today? I'll give you a hint, it's the 4th of July. What does that mean? Independence Day. But it's totally irrelevant to us as Australians, and we know that. We know it has no connection, but they make a big deal about independence and there is a significance to, I was on the 4th of July to do, then I was taken off the 4th and I was on the 10th and I thought, then I was moved back here and every time I came back to the 4th, I always had a message to bring because this day is significant for myself and I hope to get enough time at the end of this message to share that story. But today is Independence Day and that made me think, How does independence and dependence in God intersect? Okay, because we can see independence as something that is, yes, that's good. We want our children to grow up as independent. But do we want to grow up as independent from God? Let's open in prayer. Lord, as we come now to come around your word, Lord, we just pray for open hearts. Lord, we pray for your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell here and within us, to speak deeply and sharply into our hearts. May the words that come, not my words, but your words, Lord. Lord, may you speak to each one of us as we unpack this amazing story of the prodigal son. Lord, we commit this time to you now in your name. Now, look, first... um, Chapter 15 is interesting because it's got three parables, one after the other. And it's kind of like there's no narrative between each of the the chapters. And it goes bang, bang, bang. And you just look at it and you think, what's going on here? Where's the context of what is happening? And the context actually comes from the first two verses before we get into the first parable the 99 sheep left behind, the shepherd goes to find the lost sheep. Then the second parable, the lady with the lost coin searches everywhere and rejoices when she finds that lost coin. And then we go into the prodigal son. Now, all three parables have an interconnection and it's quite obvious as far as something lost, something found, something lost, something found. But the parable of the prodigal son had a twist in it at the end, which we'll get to. But to understand the twist at the end and to understand the context of the three parables together, we need to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now It wasn't a, oh, he just sits with sinner. This man, it was a conviction. It was this man. 
that is the context to all these three parables. As far as the Pharisees are there, the teachers of the law are listening. How does Jesus respond? Jesus knows their hearts. And how does he respond to them? He speaks by parables. One of the key truths that the Pharisees and the law and the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws um, had in their hearts was they rejected the very people that Jesus was speaking to. They put them down and they rejected them. Now we're going to work through the parable of the prodigal son. Now that's what it's known as, but where do we get that name from? It's not in the Bible. It's something that is just often associated with it. But is it? Let's just have a read of verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. This is a parable about two sons and a father. And often the focus is just on the prodigal son. Now, I sent out this week a pre-video for you to look at. And that was just focusing on one of the sons. It left out the other son. We're not going to leave out the other son because that other son is key to a teaching that Jesus was giving in context of all three parables. The parable is of two sons. Let's go to verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided up his property between them. Now, in context of what was taking place in that time, we have to think culturally, Middle Eastern. A son coming to his father to say, give me my inheritance now before he's dead, is saying, Father, you are dead to me. That's the context of what was taking place. You are dead to me. I want your wealth now. Now, normally a father would say, rack off. But no, this loving father, what did he do? He gave his son the inheritance. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, there's a connection between verse 12 and 13 because this is about how the son isn't satisfied with what he's got and where he's at. He just wasn't satisfied because it's always on the other side things are better. It's always if, if I just get this, life will be better. If I leave this land and go over there, life will be better. It's always looking at that, and that's what the son was looking at it. And the son was looking at it with a selfish heart. He only was looking at what was best for him. Now, we all have the power and the ability to say to God, I want nothing to do with you. You can choose to say to God, I reject you. You are dead to me. I am going to do what I want to do. This leads me to an actual thought, and we've all experienced this in the workplace. Have you ever had it? If God is such a God of love, 
Why is there so much suffering in the world? We've all heard that. It's the wrong question. There is suffering in the world because humanity has chosen to sin against God. The consequences of sin is suffering. And it can be a collective suffering, it can be an individual suffering, but it is suffering. And that is the collectiveness of the world has chosen to say to God, you are dead to me. What's the right question to ask? And this is where I redirect people to a different question. What did God do to restore the relationship between humanity and God? What did God do? That's the question people need to look at. Not if God is is such a God of love. God is a such of love. And how do we know that? By that question. Because that question reveals the heart of God. He sent his only son. The prodigal son chose to live for self. He was off on his way. He was only concerned about looking after number one. And he wasted everything away. Let's go to verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. When trials hit our lives, how often as we say, God, why are you hitting me with these trials or what's happening? Now, trials can be hit hit us because we're outside the care of God. We choose to live our lives separate from God. We choose to live lives for self. When we're outside the covering of God, yes, we are open to be hit with all sorts of things. And this is what was happening to the prodigal son. And in verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Desperation had hit him. He had no... He had nothing. His wealth had gone. And here's an interesting thing. He had wealth. He had all these things. He also had friends. How often is that friends around us when they want to get something? But true friends are not there when we're in our time of need. Now, he didn't have any true friends because he had nobody that would give him anything. Verse 16 says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Can you imagine that? The food that he was giving out to the pigs is exactly what he wanted to eat because he had nothing because and no one gave him anything. He considered eating with the pigs was more better than what he could get himself. The pigs were being looked after better than him. Do you remember how he said to the father, I want everything, the inheritance? He was saying to the father, you are dead to me. Everything had just been turned around. Everyone else was saying to the son, you are dead to me. They weren't interested. They were saying, no, you're on your own. You're dead to me. So what he did to the father, the world was doing to him now. Verse 17, 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with anger? This is an absolute critical moment for the prodigal son. The son had recognised his situation. He had recognised the desperation and he had two paths to choose to go on. He could choose to go on the path of going back to the father and say, Father, I am back. Give me and look after me now. He could have still kept his pride, his selfishness and gone back and expected more. Or he could go on another path. And let's read verse 18 and 19. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is the beginning of learning about repentance. At this point, he hasn't gone to the father. This is happening in his mind. And this is where repentance begins. It's in our mind of recognising our desperate situation do you realize that when people come to the lord it's then they recognize their sin and the desperate situation that they're in that causes something to happen and when the holy spirit comes and speaks into a person's life they recognize wait a minute what have i done I have sinned. The prodigal son recognised he had sinned against the Father and of heaven. We need to have a heart of seeking forgiveness for what the sins that we do. And often that's we need to sometimes we need to go to people and say, Will you forgive me? We need to have a heart of receiving forgiveness like the Father, as we get to later. We need to be those that can give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. But here we have the prodigal son. In his mind, he has just worked out that what he has done is so, so wrong. And he needs to then move to the next step, and that's act on it. And this becomes one of the transitional points. And how often it is that there is a transition in our mind of, I need to do this. I get a right heart attitude, but I fail to act on it. The son could have failed to act on it. We could fail to act on when we get the right attitude. What is it that stops us from moving from our thought to our action? And often that is just a simple word. And Todd brought this up, and that was pride. Pride becomes a block that blocks our mind to action at times. But this time, for the prodigal son, all had been taken away from him, and he realised that he needed to act. And when he acted, pride was removed. Let's move to verse 20 and 21. What did the prodigal son do? Was he trapped in his pride or did he act out what was in his heart? And he arose and he came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He acted out what was in his heart and his mind. He came and he ran, went to the father. Now, what was the first thing the father felt? Compassion. And what's at the heart of compassion? Love. Now, in Western culture, there are some aspects that are happening here that are a bit hard to understand. And what I'm going to take you through is some of the events that we just spoke of. The father ran to the son. Middle Eastern culture, that is a huge no-no. The father is the nobleman of a large property. First thing is, if you run and they, would, they wore garments that went right down to their feet, you can't. You have to lift it up to run. To do that would expose your feet and legs. And that is a huge no-no for a person to do. But the father lifted it up and he ran to his son. To give you an extreme case of what was happening there, the Israelites had all these rules and regulations. Get this one. If a bird came underneath the garment of the nobleman, he is not to lift his garment to let the bird out. He is to sit and wait until sundown. Then he can let out the garment. What the heck was that bird doing there? But this is the craziness of it. We have a culture whereby for the father to lift the garment and then to run to the son is an absolute no-no. It is, it is, it is humiliating to everyone that saw what was taking place. Now, when the father came to the son, what did he do? He embraced the son. He kissed and he hugged him. There was no holds back. It was, I'm going to get to my son as quick as I can and embrace him. Once again, that's a no-no. See, in their culture, and remember, who are we talking to? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're listening in here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law know exactly what should happen in that situation. The son needs to come back. He needs to wait outside the property until the father is ready to say, you may come in and I will speak to you. By him waiting outside the property, the townspeople would scoff at the son. As far as you know, good son, you took everything, you had dishonoured your father. They would have just been throwing put down after put down and that would have been part of his punishment. The Pharisees knew this. But what did the father do? He ran to the son to embrace him. He ran to the son so this son wouldn't be scoffed at by the people. He ran to the son to take whatever humiliation and scoffing and to grab him to protect his son. And I have to admit, 
When I think of that, I get tears in my eyes. I think, my Father, my Lord, my Jesus, he ran to me. I am so unworthy. And he came to me to take on not only of my sins, of to be punished, to be humiliated, to be whatever. He ran to me to embrace me as he did you. And I think that is just so powerful. And what a powerful scene that is. The father ran to the son to embrace him. The story didn't end there. Let's see what happened next. Verse 21 to 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill him and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's just think about this for a second. Bring the best robe. This was the father's robe to bring the son. Bring the shoes. The servants wouldn't wear shoes. Only a son or the father or the nobleman of the estate would get the shoes. He says, bring the shoes. And here's the kicker. We read about give him the ring and we think, okay, gave him a ring, big deal. That ring is so significant because in an estate, the ring represents the seal because on the, seal, on the ring is the seal that can be indented on any document which has the document of authority. That ring gave the son authority just like the father That was the father saying, all that is mine is yours. And here's the son. His heart was, I would be willing to come and work as a lowly servant. And the son, the father raised him up as his son again. And I think that is just an incredible picture of joy. And then there was this magnificent celebration. It wasn't let's just have a meal. Let's have a huge celebration. Let us rejoice. My son who is lost is now found. Now the Pharisees listening to this story, they would be furious. This is scandalous. First you have the father who has now become the clown of the town, lifting up his skirt, running to his son, embracing him, protecting him from the townspeople, to now the Pharisees would just be really fuming. All three parables in Luke tell us the same story. Remembering the Pharisees are listening to all three. Three lost situations and then all were found. Now, we're about to do a shift. And this is the part of the story that often doesn't get focused on. The shift is to the second son. Let's go there, verse 25 and 27. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things meant? 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. We're at another crossroad. We had a crossroad with the first son, the prodigal son, when he realised what had taken place in that he could do nothing to save himself. There was nothing he had. There was nothing he could do. All he could do was to come to the Father and acknowledge that there is nothing. And he did it without pride and with a heart of wanting to restore the relationship. Now we're at the crossroad of the second son. The second son has the opportunity to choose to also embrace his brother back with love and to say, welcome back. But did he? First 28 and 29. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered, look, These many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I don't think he was happy. Anger was in his heart. And what would most likely be the root of that anger? Jealousy. The other son was saying... I have done all these good works to serve you. I have obeyed your commands, yet I haven't had any celebration. My brother was done nothing. He is hopeless. He got everything. The other son, he scorned the father by saying in verse 30 and 33, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Notice in the scripture there is an exclamation mark. It is him pushing and making a point. This is what you have done. And it's done in a tone of conviction. So what the heck is going on here? We have two sons, one father, three hearts. The first son filled with pride and selfishness, took everything, went away. And what happened? He had to get to the point of being broken to recognise that he had sinned against the father and the son, not offering any excuses, but recognising he had sinned, that he did it and he came back to the father. The second son also had a heart filled with selfishness and pride. But what did he do? His heart wasn't changed. The second son didn't get it. Neither did the Pharisees or the teachers of the Lord. Here's the kicker at the end. Who was Jesus talking about with the second son? He was speaking straight into the hearts of the Pharisees 
and the teachers of the Lord. You don't get it. And what don't you get? It's a word called grace. Grace. It's a word called grace. We don't deserve what we get from God. The first son doesn't deserve what he gets from God. But the father gave it to him by grace. And that's exactly what grace is. We receive what we don't deserve. The first, sorry, the second son didn't get it at all. And Jesus was focusing on the Pharisees at the time. Free at last is the title of this message. Is there freedom in our independence from God or is our freedom only found in our dependence in God? The closer we get in a relationship with God through Christ, we become more freer. The more dependent we are on God, the more freer we are. Okay, I'm looking at the time. I'm at the closer to the end of the message. I said I'll tell this story if I could squeeze it in, and I'm going to squeeze it in. And this is a personal story. This is a story about a friend of Cass and myself. And this person, um, her name's Jen, and years ago she came to our house and she had a, something to share with us that thought, what the heck? But before I tell you what that was, she um, got married to a very good friend of mine. They, they were studying in university up in New South Wales. They developed their relationship. He's a Christian man. She was a Christian woman, as she said, and they got married. They moved into this district and they got very involved in the church. They both led the youth group. And they were involved in all the different aspects of church life. As time went on, um, it got to the point, and I'll give you a warning. She gave, this is when they first met myself, she, she warned her husband, you look out and watch that Stephen Hickingbotham. I'm not sure about him. Because I was a Christian, <laughs> and this was in a church environment. Watch out for him. Um, she did all the right things in church life. And then there was a situation that happened and she never came to church. Her husband and the children did. She had four children um, and they, he would bring them to church. And then there was this long period she wouldn't come to church. We kept in communication with them and she acknowledged with me over the years, as the years drawed on, she said, look, Stephen, um, and we talked about Christianity. I appreciated you. I appreciate you because you're authentic. She had an issue with people who had played double standards of being Christians, not Christians, Christians. And she was playing that herself, but she would protest to be a Christian, but then she wasn't a Christian. Um, but she kept that relationship with us because she appreciated I was authentic. And she always said to me, Stephen, I'm not giving totally up on God. I, she was a science school teacher. 
I know that God created the world. Now let's sit back to this, go back to this point when she came to this house to share this news. She said, Stephen, I'm dying. Now, when someone comes to you with this, you say, what is it? What happened? What's going on? Now, she had a little bit of information only at that point she knew. And the little bit of information was, one, she hadn't been to medical specialists. She hadn't been given results. She hadn't gone through any treatment. She hadn't got any advice. There was just a long journey to go, but yet she was coming and saying, Stephen, I'm dying. And I thought, let's go through this path first and see what's happening. She then travelled down that road and continually along that journey, it was bad stories after bad stories after bad stories. Nothing went right. Nothing at all. During that journey, she used me as a bit of a punching bag for God. She was angry. She had three teenage daughters, so, uh, sorry, two teenage daughters, one teenage son and one um, in their um, under 10 child. And she was angry to God because as the path went on, her destiny was death. Now, she was independent and this was the problem. And why I wanted to do the prodigal son, why I wanted to bring up that story is because today's her birthday. This is the 4th of July and this is her birthday. And she had huge independence and this was the problem. She was independent from God. She would only take, I'll take this little bit of God, but I'm not going to give my whole heart to God because she wanted to do everything the way she wanted to do it. Two weeks before she did pass, I remember going and visiting her in hospital early in the morning and there was for the first time that I'd ever seen a change of heart and she committed her life to the Lord and it was beautiful. And... Yes, she was like the prodigal son. It was taken to the point of absolute desperation. And we can say, okay, yeah, she's covering her bases. She's about to die, so she'd do this. So being the type of guy I was, I gave her an incredible challenge to do straight after that to see whether this was real or not, recognising what was, what was the hardest thing for her to do. And that was, and she would continually say to me, she had a relationship with her, her, her husband where she despised his Christianity in the end. And there is one thing she would never do, and that would be to say to her husband, I've committed my heart to the Lord too. That was mission impossible. There was no way. And why there was no way for her to do that? because of pride. What held her back from her relationship with the Lord was pride, just like that second son. There was pride, just like the first son. Pride. I want to do things my way. So I told her, Jen, this is what you need to do. And then after you do that, you need to tell everyone that comes into this room who Jesus Christ is. Just at that time, 
I, um, his, her husband turned up. I just walked out. Husband walked in and I waited out in the waiting room. The husband came out in tears. He said, we've had our first miracle. We just need our second miracle. The first miracle, anyone who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour is a miracle. It is a miracle. And for this person, it was a huge miracle because there was so much pride. She did pass two weeks later. And it was sad. And one of the things I was doing in that two weeks, which I found very hard, I was preparing her funeral while she was alive. I was, the husband couldn't do anything. He was a mess. So I took the responsibility and I was talking to Jen about what would you like at your funeral. That is a hard conversation to have. It is, really is. But what it was, it was the joyous of her having that relationship with the Lord. She was at Kai Abram Secondary College at the school. I was liaisoning with the school, with the funeral directors and a lot of other people. The school said, we are going to shut the school down for that day. There was lots of people that wanted to come. We took over the auditorium. We had over a thousand people at that funeral. It was probably one of the biggest funerals I'd been to. And I had the privilege and the honour to stand. She had a lot of secular friends because she'd moved out in the secular world and they all spoke and they spoke from the secular side of Jen and I was able to stand to say this woman she was angry at God. She had so much anger but then she committed her life and I was able to claim she is born again. And to share with mostly a secular congregation her witness of being born again. So today is the 4th of July. Why have we done this message? Because to me, I remember this woman. I remember the emotions. I remember the journey. It was a tough one. And I remember the breaking of a person. She was broken. And we need to be broken when we come to the Lord independence and dependence. This room is filled with so many people that have a relationship with the Lord. The challenge to you today is how do I become more dependent? More dependent. How do I get deeper into the Lord? How do I become more dependent on Jesus? Let us not just be satisfied to saying I am born again. Let us seek to be more dependent on the Lord. So when you hear Independence Day in the future, when you hear the 4th of July, ask yourself this question. Am I becoming more dependent in the Lord? Let the scriptures speak forth today. Let the power of the prodigal son speak to your heart. Let it also bring back the memories of when you became a Christian and when you had that first love, 
Do you remember that first love? Do you remember the power of it? I do. It turned my world upside down. Do you remember it? Remember that today. Remember when you were the prodigal son and you came to the father. Let today be a day that you walk and leave from here to say, Father, I want to dig deeper. I want to dig so deep. And here comes the kicker. Lord, what is it that I need to surrender in my life? What is it that I need to surrender to you? What is it that's blocking me from going deeper? Let us pray. Lord, we come to you now as your humble servants. We come to you loving you as Lord of all. Lord, I remember that moment when I accepted you as Lord and Saviour. To some it happened at a moment. To others it happened over a period of time. It doesn't matter when or how it happened, but the joy of coming into a relationship with the Father, to be like that prodigal son to receive you as you hugged us, as you ran to us. Lord, you ran to that cross. You didn't have to go to that cross, but you ran to the cross for our suffering. Lord, may we never forget the cross and what you did in humbling yourself like the Father lifting up and running to the Son. You humbled yourself to run to that cross for no other reason than so that we could have that relationship restored with you, God. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. And Lord, I just encourage you to touch in each of our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit move now to touch in our hearts of where and what we need to do to remove anything, any pride, anything that is stopping us from having a deepened more deepened relationship with you. Lord, it's to your glory. We praise you in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.